0: Hey, everybody, when you hear that music, you know it's time for another podcast on the lighter side of baseball, and I got to tell you, the weeks are going by pretty fast. COVID-19 is causing all of us to alter our lifestyle a little bit, but we're trying to provide a little bit of entertainment for an hour, and I've got my good buddy and the voice of the Milwaukee Brewers and the Milwaukee Bucks, pregame, postgame, guy I've known forever, Dave Nelson's partner. Craig Hashan, Craig, here we go, three weeks in a row, buddy. Let's do
1: it, man uh we got something cooking good. that's for sure. It's passing right. the time well we're telling
0: some good stories. I agree, and i'm having uh I'm having so much fun and it, it gets my mind off of everything and I hope it gets uh yours and all our listeners our view our listening audience is going up by the by the podcast and uh you know, I'm just glad we can do something to uh maybe help some people, entertain some people, tell a few stories that maybe somebody's interested in. I don't know. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing well. I'm uh, hanging in there pretty good, Um, you know, getting anxious uh, for hopefully some good news here for on a couple of fronts, you know, to get our our country, you know, to the point where we're feeling a lot more comfortable with, um, you know, with trying to avoid any more, you know, pandemic type deaths and and all that right now. And then uh, hopefully that, uh, once that, you know, gets leveled off here, we can get back to talking about, uh, you know, getting our sporting events going. And I know that, um, the leaders of, um, the professional leagues and, uh, the NCAA had a uh, talk with president Trump on Saturday and, um, you know, I, I'm not sure what all is going to come out of that, but at least they're they're talking right now, and and I think the best news was just to hear that. Uh, you know, these these leaders in sports want to put sports out in front of everything to try to get things economically back on track. They want to be, you know, the the leaders and the ones taking that first step. You know, there's obviously going to be some risk to getting getting these games uh, underway again. And there's going to be a a lot of um, decisions made on, on altering whether it's fans or whether where they're playing or whatever it is. But uh, I think they're, they're working diligently to, to try to, you know, map some things out and, and hopefully they'll work sooner than later. That's for sure. We sure need it back.
0: Well, I'm excited. I don't know why I've uh, not only do I have a great day, Uh, planned. I I went out for a four or five mile walk trying to make sure that uh, if I have to go carry my golf bag somewhere I can. And parenthetically, when golf courses are open down here, it's supposed to be 80 degrees on Monday and social distancing uh, really features well with my game. Because where I hit the ball, there's not anybody anywhere near me. (laughs) <laughs> same here
1: my friend that, well the golf courses are closed in wisconsin we we talked about that last week and yeah and i and i hope they're considering reopening because i think enough people have admitted that you can't gather in the middle of the fairway as as a foursome very often at all i think the balls are pretty much scattered all over so i i'm never on the fairway i don't know what any of that looks like i'm usually on my own too
0: Yeah. Um, I'm noticing around here, uh, some of my doctor buddies are playing. So, I mean, I'm figuring if these, you know, ER doctors and cardio, uh, specialists are out playing golf, then, then it's gotta be okay. As long as the golf courses are open. I know in Illinois, they're closed, but, uh, I did get out last Wednesday. I did go for a walk, planning a little kind of Wisconsin-y day. We're planning to uh, crank up a little fire in the fire pit and uh, have a spotted cow or two. So man, I mean if That's you could put baseball on the front burner, that'd be great. But I'm glad to hear that these guys are uh are talking a little bit about when they can crank it up. And I'm still I'm still holding out that spring training gets cranked up in, in May and we have baseball around Memorial Day. What do you think?
1: Well I mean I, I wouldn't rule it out. Um that's for sure. So I, I think, you know, I think the next two weeks is going to be uh, the big telltale sign about where our country is health wise and how it's going to represent itself, um, you know, moving forward. So I, you know, so far everything that they've talked about, um, as far as trying to get things back on track schedule wise is still, you know, a ways off, but, uh, you know, if it's if it's June 1st, that'd be great at this point because it gives you June, July, August, September. It gives you four full months to get baseball. You know, back in a pretty good position if that could be the case to play the majority of their games. You know, they're still looking to play as many games as possible. Um, I, I really think they that the last thing they really want to do is try to stretch their baseball season too far into November, but they're obviously willing to do that. But Boy, if they can get the regular season cranked up by June 1st, and that's probably optimistic to some people, but so be it. Um, that four, four really strong months of, of the regular season would uh, bode well for, you know, getting maybe 100, 120 games in, uh, depending upon the schedule format. So I'm crossing my fingers for it. I'm trying to remain as optimistic and realistic as possible, so nothing's been ruled. The only things that aren't happening are the things that have been canceled. And, you know, so far every sport right now um, has only suspended for the most part what we're talking about. And, um, and, and I, again, I hope by fall uh, that college football can figure things out and, and the NFL can figure things out and, and keep their schedule as is right now and get going by, by the 1st of September.
0: Well, I'm always optimistic, and in my crystal ball in early November, indoor baseball, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, NLCS, Cubs versus Brewers, game five. Now, you'll note that I said game five. That's because I think in my crystal ball, the Cubs have that home field advantage, even if that home field might happen to be in Arizona. (laughs) (laughs) i think
1: they have home field advantage almost wherever they go don't they
0: well i think you know (laughs) indoor baseball in november is probably realistic but uh i don't see any reason why the cubs and the and the uh, brewers aren't playing in in uh i guess now november baseball but all of a sudden i start thinking you know one fallback i keep hearing is they'd start the season without fans either nba mlb and you know you hear all these things put out and it You know, some people enjoy talking about those contingencies. I don't. But what just when you were talking, what crept into my mind is that if they start the season with no fans, I think my podcast partner, my co-host of On the Lighter Side, ought to include me as your personal attache. So (laughs) I can drive you to the ballpark. I can, you know, make sure that I can be your bodyguard, make sure that the fans stay away from you. Well, there wouldn't be any fans, so... I don't know. I got to figure out a way to get in there with you, buddy.
1: Even if there there were fans, they wouldn't. There wouldn't be anybody by me. Trust no,
0: me. No, mom. But, uh, I'll,
1: I'll, hey, I'll, I'll hold you at your word uh, as long as you bring along uh, some of Davy's uh, wine you left behind, unless that's all been consumed by now.
0: Uh, I the the wine that uh, Nelly left behind for those listeners who haven't been following along. When Nelly, who just was one of the great. I call them wine guys. That's as sophisticated as I can get. But um, even up till the end, God love him, he was ordering wine, and I happened to uh, inherit all that, I guess, from a better standpoint. (laughs) I was the last guy to clean out his house, so I I transported probably illegally over state lines a few cases of of wine. And, yes, sir, I've got a little bit of that Tom Seaver left. In fact, I probably have enough for the whole season for you and me.
1: That'd be good,
0: and uh, no, no better wine to have than the, to toast a, the
1: return of baseball. If that's the possibility of having Tom Seaver's wine,
0: yeah, and uh, and do that at uh, Brian Ward's restaurant. I can't think yeah. of a better a better thing to do in uh, in the summer, and uh, you know, hopefully the lakes. Everybody, you know, it's just hard to tell. Everybody's depressed, and nobody knows when the this deal's going to. Uh, uh, and, but, um, I, I gotta believe that good things are going to come with treatment virus and or, uh, you know, some sort of a vaccine. Who knows? You might as well be optimistic. Anybody can be pessimistic. Let's be on the lighter side of baseball. But before we, before we segue into baseball, um, briefly just for my own, I guess I could go read it on the, uh, Google it, but are the elections still on in your state of Wisconsin for Tuesday?
1: Yeah, they are. Uh, I think much to the surprise of, of many people, um, they are. Uh, but we did the uh, absentee ballots, so we've got everything buttoned up. I think that's the safest way to go right now. And, um, you know, there's, uh, they're, they're in dire need of, you know, if you're showing up to vote, they're in dire need of you know, poll workers and stuff. And hardly anybody's volunteering for that right now. So I think the National Guard is going to help out. So yeah, Tuesday, uh, Tuesday primary in Wisconsin is still on.
0: Yeah, i would heard that normally in Milwaukee, there are approximately 120 polling stations, and they've reduced that to five. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's ridiculous. It really is. So you know, know, without any editorial comment, uh, as long as People stay safe. I suppose that's it. But uh, what was your, uh, I think before we went on the air, you had mentioned that you had spent a couple of days in, uh, in Milwaukee. What was that like in terms of people being out and about?
1: Uh, you know, there, there are a good number of people that are out doing pretty much what they're allowed to do right now. And that's taking walks. Um, a lot of people obviously walking their dogs. um, um people just trying to keep things going in their neighborhood. A lot of people doing yard work, that type of thing. Downtown, um, I think is probably the one that can be the most depressing because it, uh, certainly was, um, and has been over the last several years, a, a very vibrant downtown, even on weekends. And, and now it's like a ghost town, unfortunately. And, um, there's a, uh, a little brewery that's, uh, right next to where where I've got a place downtown and I think the most uh, revealing um, thing that I witnessed through this was a line of cars through a roped off area of their parking lot uh, basically waiting from the street to get into their parking lot to drive through uh, to pick up orders that they had placed online for food or uh, it's a little microbrewery you can you know get um, they call them growlers to go, um, mm-hmm. and and it was kind of interesting because
0: Along Friday the ar- gear around gear.
1: the four- go ahead Friday around the four o'clock time, uh, they were lined out into the streets, and there most people were picking up beer, and um and and then by six o'clock they were lined up in the streets, and most people were picking up food, and then Saturday around noon they were lined up in the streets trying to get through and they, again they were it was the beer run so it was kind of uh, interesting witnessing this but very sad because you obviously can't go in any restaurants right now and you know our good friends over at wards are experiencing the same thing they were open basically from four to seven and uh, you know you, you place your order ahead or, or text Brian or or Mike over there, and and they'll get things together. But I mean, everything's curbside. It's just um, I don't know. You you do your best to try to 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 keep some restaurants going and stuff. But it's uh, it's difficult to see what's what's happened right now and and where we are. But somewhere along the line, you got to stay strong. That's for sure. And optimistic that it's not going to be forever.
0: No, and it it all got shut down pretty fast. So hopefully, it'll reopen pretty fast when the when the all clear signal is sounded by competent medical authorities so right right we can only hope and then we can have opening day which was supposed to be Thursday this past week here in Kansas City we actually you know wouldn't you know it we had great weather for opening day I mean great weather I looked back at at uh, Wrigley on their opening day not so great weather and then you know the only thing that I, I laugh about that we missed was a night game on March 31st I think at Wrigley Wouldn't that be fun to sit out at Wrigley on March 31st evening with the wind chills, uh, coming in over the, the uh, right field wall at about 20 degrees sinking to 10 by the end of the game. Oh my God. And and those are,
1: those are always the four hour games too.
0: Yeah. It's the only thing I can think of that is good about this, but, uh, um, you know, one thing I was thinking about, you do both the uh, Milwaukee Bucks, currently the occupant of first place in their conference, and the odds-on uh, favorite to have the top seed. Uh, and then um, if if everything starts at the same time, you got to – is it your decision or your boss's decision on where you go? Not the problem.
1: Um, I, I don't know how that's going to work out, but I, I would imagine that uh, – that somehow the, uh, the schedules will line up where I can uh, experience both. That's for sure. So Because we, we would have been over our – we call it a crossover period of the two sports regular seasons starting and ending at the same time and, um, and then playoffs for the Bucs. So we were talking, you know, end of March. Heck, I, I was at spring training twice. So, you know, middle of March and then uh, uh, all of April. All of May and into June, if the Bucks go to the finals, where where you get that crossover of time, and um, and boy, last year was a blast. You know, the Bucks made it to the Eastern Conference Finals, Game Six before they bowed out, and um, that was you know three full weeks into May, and so gosh, baseball season had been you know seven seven weeks in already by that time, so. Um, fun times to experience for sure, and for I think for city sizes like Milwaukee uh, to experience that as you know a community and a state, um, it was just there with there you couldn 't get enough talk of those two teams because the last two or three years uh, they've both done so well and um, and so this is this is kind of a crushing blow right now the period of time that we 're going through with this pandemic so Hopefully, we can pick it up and, um, you know, like every other community, get her going again and regain that enthusiasm.
0: Well, you mentioned you got to uh, spring training down in beautiful Maryvale, Arizona twice. Give give, uh, give us a little taste of what you would do, uh, you know, down in uh, in spring training, getting ready for uh, this, the upcoming season. Uh, you know, what's the day in the life of Craig Kishan hanging out at spring training like.
1: Well, you know the the actual uh schedule is, you know, almost opposite of what it's like during the regular season as you can imagine for the ball players too because most of our games during the regular season are are played in the evening uh but you know 98% of what they do at spring training is is daytime. Um and so and it starts early. I mean, they're they're over to the complex you know, the coaches are there by probably 6, 6.30 in the morning. And, you know, the players start showing up by 7. And, and they go through um, training and, and meetings and, you know, make sure they're, they're fed and all that. And then they have a team meeting at uh, 10 o'clock every morning. And we usually meet with the manager about 9.30 as a group. Um, Clubhouse is open for us to go in and mingle with the guys you know, as soon as 830, 9 o'clock, and um, and then at ten, uh, for when the spring training games actually start by ten o'clock, uh, part of the part of the franchise group of guys goes to the practice fields, and, and the guys who are playing in the spring training game that day uh, go to hit batting practice at ten on the on the main field. Whether they're a home or away team, they'll hit at ten be done at 11. And then if they're the home team, then they'll, they'll get something neat and start the game, you know, by one o'clock. If they're the road team, they pretty much get on the bus at 1130 or noon, depending upon where they're busing to and get over to the site um, and play the game and then bus back. And some of the, some of the front name guys um, that are playing, say in a road game, They'll drive themselves over. They'll, they'll park in the visitor's lot over there. And when they're done playing in the fifth or sixth inning, they'll actually leave and drive themselves back to wherever they're staying in, in the Phoenix area. Some of those guys have, you know, their off-season homes there.
0: Right. Um, and, but, and their golf clubs.
1: they their golf clubs, exactly. Uh, but, then, but then their day is done. Um, and then we we're, you know, broadcasting the game. And, you know, when, when our frontline guys are leaving in the fifth or sixth inning, uh, you know, they, they obviously start substituting with some of the minor league guys. And then it becomes interesting with our numbers game that we talked about last week. Um, but it, uh, it also becomes fun. I mean, it's uh, such a relaxed atmosphere. It's really the true essence of the game of baseball is spring training. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of work that's done there. But it's also it's a laid back atmosphere once you get into game mode, and um, and with the fans and the the ability to almost touch them, you know they're they're right there. You have you have conversations with them. It's a lot more one on one for everybody, whether it's players, broadcasters, and fans and stuff. So uh, it's very very enjoyable. Um, I certainly don't mind having a job where I'm done by you know four four thirty in the afternoon. Because uh, it's not like that during the regular season, that's for sure. But uh, And it's a beautiful area. It's it's fun to, you know, pop around to the different cities. Go over to Goodyear for the Reds and Indians. Um, go over to Glendale for the Dodgers and White Sox. You know, go up to Peoria. Uh, Mariners and Padres are up there. Uh, you go over to Scottsdale and you got the Giants, in uh, old Scottsdale area. Uh, that's always a fun spot to go over and. And visit and and stay after the game um, and so where the Rockies and Diamondbacks are too, a little further out in talking stick, uh, right off the one oh one on the uh on the east side of the city
0: so th- a there's good, a, that, I like that ballpark that. That's a, I do
1: too. And, and you nice. know the the Cubs facility that they built um, is well right outside of Tempe there right. is uh, is beautiful, really beautiful and, the, and it, the fan access to the guys is really cool too, because they're in a their home clubhouse is in a separate building than their their new stadium, as you know, you've been there. Right. But for the fans that haven't, and the fans, you know, form a, a double line. Uh, on their path to get into the stadium and it's it's uh you can't experience that during the regular season. So those kinds of things are pretty cool.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think um the the Diamondback complex is really really nice and, and what mo- more important to me than the baseball is the food. And I thought their uh, their food was pretty good out there. The Cub food is as bad in spring training as it is at Wrigley, but you know, be that as it may, I, I I segued back into food, which I shouldn't do. Although I'm eating pretty good, <laughs> Eat pretty good during all of this, but uh, you know, what uh, have you watched? Any last time we talked, you had pretty well resisted watching MLB Network or any of the uh, replays of. I keep watching replays of golf, but I also, I also watch replays of, of games. And as I said before, sometimes I can't even remember if I was at the game, what happened.
1: That's good though, but that that's the way to watch those. Um, I, I've watched a little bit. They had they replayed a game I did last year with uh, Dan Plesac. It was uh, mid-August. The Brewers were at uh, Washington playing the Nationals, and it was right about that breaking point of whether or not um, Josh Hader was going to keep his closing role. He'd gone through a, a rut and. Uh, and whether or not the Brewer pitching staff was going to survive for a run into September. And we played a 15-14 to game. I think it went 16 innings, 5 hours and 40 minutes. And I think we may have had a rain delay in the middle of that too because I think we got back to our hotel. It was a Saturday night, got back at 2.30 or 3 in the morning. Basically, everybody took a nap because we had a day game on Sunday to close out the series, and and it was a travel day as well. So, they they delayed our regular bus time to report to the ballpark. I don't think we got there for the one thirty game until, like, noon, which has never happened before during my experience. Um, but they replayed that one. I watched bits and pieces of that.
0: Now, and, I'll uh, tell you what. Just as a, as a fan, and I've listened to you and act do games and I love it. Um, and I think he I've already told you, I think you're great. I think he's great. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was in that series, I believe, where it was the Moose is on the loose came out of Please Act. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well there was a lot of there was a lot of Moose on the Loose in that one called a called the uh, Park Ranger was Call his the line. Park ranger. Got Call it. the Park Run. Ranger, the Moose is on the loose. Well, guess what? we don't have moose on the brewers this year, and you guys got police act on some of your broadcasts this year, so we lost them to you guys so
0: well the uh, uh,
1: how about that for life?
0: Man, I know that's tough uh, the mark that the new network that you mentioned is the marquee sports network that right that you can get in Chicago if you pay. I think we've got direct condo or direct TV at the condo. So I watched a little of that, which they played every game in the 2016 playoffs, much to my delight that I happened to watch. But uh, I noticed that Mark Grace, I don't know how many guys they've signed, but uh, is Plizak not doing any MLB or is he? No,
1: he is. Uh, but they, they let him out uh, to do some games. And, and the last couple of years, they let him out to do some games for us. And. Um, now I th- I think he's going to be doing something former fashion on the broadcast. I'm not exactly sure what it is for the Cubs. So, um, but yeah, his main jobs with uh, the MLB channel and um, they you know for a lot of guys that work over there they they're allowed to to get out. You know, I like make sure they work things out and uh, get to ballparks and do some things with some other networks and stuff which is pretty cool it's a it's a really strong relationship i think with uh, major league baseball and the mlb channel and and the network and radio and stuff that they have um you know because they air so many of our games during the week just the straight up local broadcasts um they'll air them you know on their platform a little more national basis and um and then you know just i i think Everything that goes into the broadcast is, is shared so well, I think, between them all. It's kind of a neat deal. So I, the NBA's got it, too, and I think the NHL does. NFL, a little bit different, but uh, I think it's worked out great. I think it's a cool relationship, and you know, you try to get the best of both worlds when you can is, is what their goal is, I think.
0: Well, as I understand it, Major League Baseball are some – some limited partnership formed by the owners of major league baseball in conjunction with major league baseball itself owns 60% of MLB network from what I can gather. I'm not sure if that's true or not, but I think it is.
1: I think you're probably right, but I'm not hundred percent either. There's, uh, there's obviously, uh, some ownership to, to claim in that. And there, and there had been a lot of talk too when the Fox, uh, regional sports channels were up for sale that, uh, MLB was uh, in position to to make a bid. I'm not sure if they actually did or not, but um, there had been a lot of talk about uh, just the fact that there is strongly positioned they are, you know, with the ownership group involved.
0: Yeah. And of course you've read it a thousand times. I've heard it a million times and that, that little, uh, without the express written consent of major league baseball, they own the rights to every damn broadcast, which they should. Yeah. And yeah gives that opportunity to MLB to either for whatever legal reason, let the MLB network do cut-ins. And I mean, they've got a monopoly on a lot of it uh, until it comes to the, uh, the playoffs and then Fox by virtue of their billions of dollars, they pour into the, the uh, TV contract, gets a little one up on MLB network. But by and large, it seems to me again, I'm a fan. Seems to me that uh, between cut-ins, between post-game interviews, and between various guys doing the uh, the the um, broadcasts, that's by and large. I'm hard to please, but I think it's a pretty good product.
1: Yeah, for sure. And and you know the other thing about it that uh, that you had mentioned with. Uh, the ownership and the rights, you know, during this, during this time, this pandemic right now, when the reason we're talking about this is watching classics. I think um, one of the really cool things that has been done by major league baseball is they told all the affiliates uh, who have the team's ownership rights. You can dip into our library and air whatever game in the past has ever involved your franchise. So we've, we, we've been able to re-air NBC's broadcast of the 1982 World Series, the only World Series the Brewers have ever been in, and re-aired some of the games the Brewers won against St. Louis. And um, and then the playoff games, too, in 2008, 2011, and the last couple of years we've re-aired those playoff games. And those are national TV games. They're not Fox Sports Wisconsin, but – uh, they've allowed us to air whatever we want to air. It's been an uh, an open library, which is not always the case, but the, it's it's something where you, right now we need to give people, you know, some entertainment. And if you're going to bring classics out, people aren't stupid. They're going to look and pick their own top 10. And uh, chances are with an open library right now, we've got everything covered. So, because we, we worked as uh, soon as the uh season was suspended on March twelfth at spring training. We worked diligently for almost a week every day to try to make sure that we had all of the brewer classics um in franchise sister. I think I told you this uh I got an email and they said give me your top ten brewers classics and that's all the email said. <laughs> and they said we need it like yesterday. And and I replied back right away i said of last year in 2019 or of all time and they said of all time we have an open library we can get whatever we want and i thought that was the greatest thing but yet it was also challenging <laughs> to make sure yeah. that uh that you got the playoff games and and any big regular season games and you know with us unlike the cubs you know the cubs games have been on tv forever just about every game and it hasn't been the case in small market Milwaukee. I mean, you just can't go back and get their very first game in 1970 on April 7th when they moved from Seattle to Milwaukee. And uh, they didn't televise that game in Milwaukee. So, And I, apparently the California Angels, who they played that day, didn't either. So one game maybe you'd want to see, it. it's not available. So then well, you got to keep digging.
0: I'll tell you, WGN, which broadcasts exclusively Cubs baseball, in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, until, you know, somehow this, this uh, cable thing that WGN seemed to have a lock on sort of got diversified. But, but in the 50s, when I was growing up watching baseball, I'd come home from school and I was a White Sox fan. Died in the will, hated the Cubs, couldn't stand, you know, was happy when they lost. But that was the only thing on because the Sox played at night, the Cubs played in the day, no, no lights at Wrigley. And there was nothing more exciting than watching the Cubs get clobbered 10 to nothing with Glenn Hobby on the mound or Dick Drott or Mo Drabowski. And (laughs) and let me tell you, they were so bad in the 50s, but they had maybe, you know, back-to-back MVP in in, uh, Mr. Cub, Ernie Banks at shortstop, and the poor guy had no supporting cast at all. I mean, these guys, Moose Moron and Dale Long and – God, it just went on and on and on, and then across town. Since you brought up numbers, and this is the eleventh podcast of season number two, there's only number one number eleven in my life, and that's Louis Aparicio, the shortstop in in 1959. But if you were going to uh, forget about, um, well, exclude uh, exclude maybe professional. Involvement or included. I don't care. Do you have a a list of five or ten games that you think were the most exciting games or the most memorable games that that uh, that you could reel off if you had to?
1: As far as Brewer history goes,
0: as far as Craig Kashan's concerned, could have been the Braves. It could have been the Yankees, White Sox, Cubs. Any any yeah. games of i'll go first I'll, I'll yeah lead.
1: you can go first i you know i'll be honest with you i'm not gonna i'm probably not gonna have uh a huge list outside of uh outside of the uh milwaukee brewers but i'll i'll let you go first
0: okay i'll i'll do a couple and then you do a couple all right all right yeah so um with dave nelson, one of the uh, uh had a great he had a great nineteen seventy three he was sitting well over 300 in 1974 before he got hurt. And of course he got me good tickets for a game in which a young high school phenom from Houston, Texas named David Clyde was going to start the game because Bob short, the owner who moved the team from Washington DC to Dallas needed something to boost attendance. So he signed the 16, 17 year old kid out of high school and before Memorial Day, I can't remember the date, but he had him start a game. One of the greatest games I've seen. He uh, First, there was such a crowd to get into the ballpark that they delayed the start of the game for an hour. So everybody just kind of sitting there eating peanuts and, and hot dogs, which I'm sure helped Bob Short. He was no idiot on how to get some money out of the fans. But here comes David Clyde, this kid. He walks the bases loaded in the first inning. Wow. On like 12 straight balls. He <laughs> couldn't find home plate. Those,
1: those are so agonizing.
0: And here's this kid. He just pitched a high school playoff game. Now he's pitching in front of 40,000 people at Turnpike Stadium, if it held that many people. This was way back when. He finally throws a strike and gets a standing ovation. He strikes out... He strikes out the next guy with the bases loaded, gets a standing O, struck out the side, no runs, no hits, three walks. And I can't even remember what ha- what happened in the rest of the game, but that was one of the more exciting things i would seen. That is uh,
1: pretty exciting, especially the circumstances and uh, the, the oddities and the almost desperation to try to, You know, boost attendance and boost interest and stuff.
0: Well, yeah, I I think
1: the one that stands out to me, and I was at the time I had worked for the Brewers in back in 1981. I was um, a junior in high school, I think, and a bunch of us at our at our school in uh, outside of Milwaukee um, decided to um, go and apply to be an usher down there and a ticket taker. And um, they paid really well. It was a great summer job. Obviously, with baseball, <clears throat> it was also the uh, the year that the Brewers made an offseason train and got uh, uh, Pete Vukovich, Ted Simmons, and Raleigh Fingers from the St. Louis Cardinals. And it was the only time they really made a boost to try to get a good team together surrounding Robin Yount and Paul Molitor, who were in their you know entering their primes. And starting to put up big numbers and then they started out uh they started out okay and then the players had a strike in 81 and I think the season was suspended for almost two months and so when they got things going again in 1981 they said we're gonna do it like this uh, since so much time is off we're gonna do what the minor leagues does we're gonna have a first half winner and a second half winner and they'll play in a and a mini playoff uh, to represent, you know, the American league and the national league and then go on to the world series. And the brewers ended up, you know, with all the talent they had, they won the the second half. The Yankees had won the first half for the East, but I remember that day uh, it was early October at County stadium in 1981. The brewers were playing the tigers and it was, it was really, with that first year for me being an usher there, uh, I had never been on the field before until that last game, and they had positioned a bunch of us right outside the uh, the dugout, right, in the, right where the fans are sitting in the first row there, you know, hoping that the Brewers would clinch, and they did. Raleigh Fingers got the save, uh, and Ted Simmons was catching, and there was a strikeout to end the game, and, and Simmons came – rumbling out and picked up Raleigh and Raleigh picked up Ted. And uh, it was the greatest damn thing in the world because at that time you could storm the field. So the fans came running out on the field and basically they said, you stand up on the, uh, on the dugout. That was the goal, but everybody came out on the field. So they said, you just go out on the field and just be in position to look important, but don't touch anybody. We're not allowed to touch anybody. We're not true security. We're just, ticket takers at the end of the game. And uh, I remember looking up from the field at the enormity, if that's a word, of of County Stadium and how big it was because I had never been on the field before. I think I was probably 16 or 17 years old.
0: Oh, cool and, right.
1: um, and I'm thinking to myself, I- I'm in seventh heaven right now. This team just clinched their first playoff in franchise history. And... Um, it was a pretty cool situation for me. So to me, that, that one game probably all time tops my list right
0: there. And you had the opportunity to see who became a 2020 inductee into the MLB, uh, baseball hall of fame, Ted Simmons. Yeah. Yeah. Ted Simmons
1: is going in this year and, um, and you know, Cooperstown is the best. I know that's uh, something we want to talk about too, whether it's today or another time, but, uh, Um, so that, you know, I, I, I can't go on and on on classics because that one tops my list. Um, you know, the, the Brewers have had, unfortunately not enough big moments when it comes to playoff history, but, uh, you know, getting into the world series too, that the following year, I, I also worked that series, um, as a ticket taker and usher. And I remember when the world series, uh, first two games were in St. Louis and then they came back to Milwaukee for games three, four, and five. And for those three games, they, they positioned me in the St. Louis Cardinals ownership box on the field. Uh, they make a makeshift box right on the warning track, right in front of the first row of the stands. And they made two rows, probably for, uh, I don't know, 10, maybe 12. Augie Bush and his wife and family. And they wanted a uniform person in there because back then we wore, you know, bright uniforms with, you know, police chief type hats. And and um, that's where I sat. They said, I said, what am I supposed to do? And they said, just look important. You don't have to do anything. Just wear the uniform well. And so that's what I did for the (laughs) games. Three, four, and five of the World Series in 1982, and got paid. So, it was probably the beginning for me that I that I knew that I was destined to go into broadcasting, right, to actually work a game and get
0: paid. So, hey, that is that's great. Um, I have so many. Just again, as a fan, not as uh, not being involved, but I I was at Kerry Wood's 20 strikeout game. That was pretty exciting. Uh, Maybe the the most electrifying game that I can think of, maybe. Um, in 1980, there was such a history between the Yankees and the Royals. And the Royals, even the Kansas City A's had supplied the Yankees with Hall of Famers or people that should have been in the Hall of Fame. And you know, it was always thought of back when there was only eight teams in each league that the Kansas City A's were kind of like the minor league team for the Yankees and they just feed the Roger Marises of the world up the chain to the Yankees. So that carried on with the Royals and um, in the Royals, I think had probably the best record in baseball. Nelly was part of that team, although he didn't make the playoff roster in 76 or 77, 70. It seemed like every year the Royals, Would face the Yankees, the Pine Tower game, this, that, and the other thing. But in 1980, there was a rare afternoon playoff game on a Friday afternoon at Kauffman Stadium, and the Yankees had continuously beaten the Royals every year, no matter what the record. And on this occasion, the Royals kicked the Yankees' butt, and it was the most exciting game. It was so exciting, about an hour later, Nobody, not one person that I could tell had left the ballpark. It was just a giant it's like New Year's Eve came in October. It was unbelievable so that was exciting that that is
1: the best because the you know you can't beat the atmosphere uh, really for anything a big game like that and and um, you know I think the atmosphere too uh, that'll just segue into my next game that I I remember the one that stands out for me as a first big game as a broadcaster I was I was our sideline reporter for our brewer broadcast it was mid-2000s I think it may have been 06 or 07 Uh, but Justin Verlander was uh, pitching for Detroit then and he pitched his first no hitter against the Brewers Hmm. and that's the the first and only no hitter that I've been a witness to in, in my, all my years I've been doing this in this 20 years, seeing a lot of ones that came close in the ninth inning, but that was exactly. the only no hitter. And it was uh, in Detroit and um, at their new stadium. And um, I, I just remember it so well being a, a regular season game where you show up and you're just expecting to watch a regular season game. And with no hitters, if if, if, any of our listeners haven't experienced it before, especially in the stadium. Um, it is second to none because the buildup really doesn't start until maybe the fourth inning. When you look up and, and you see this guy's out on the mound and he's not out there very long because he's getting out in a hurry and there's nobody on base. And now you're through four innings and okay, come out in the fifth and, He breezes through that, and you're like, well, this is going to be interesting here. We're more than halfway through this game. And then he gets in the sixth, and you're like, this is serious stuff now. Do I even talk out loud about it? Am I going to jinx it? And then you get in the seventh inning, and then you either decide whether you're a jinxer or not to even bring it up. (laughs) And you're looking at the scoreboard and watching this guy plow through. And then when there's a no-hitter going on, and, and you're the home team, all of a sudden now, by the eighth inning, whatever crowd is there, and there was a decent crowd, wasn't a sellout, but it became a playoff atmosphere uh, because everybody was cheering every single pitch. Uh, if there was strike one to the first batter to open up the inning, it was uh, – you've never hear, heard a cheer for a, a strike like that that wasn't a strikeout call. Right. And then you get into the ninth and – Gosh, two outs, people are on their feet. They're going crazy, and you just – now you're like – you're looking at a guy like Ver, Verlander, whoever's throwing that – trying for that no-hitter going, what kind of pressure is you feeling now? He just needs one more out. And, um, and then he got it, and the place went crazy, and it was just really something special to witness. I, I watched the, the Brewers have only had one no-hitter in their entire history – And that happened in 1987, and I watched that on TV. And that was thrilling and exciting. They did it when they were on the road in Baltimore. But to witness this in the stadium for the home pitcher, uh, it it was really something special, that's for sure. and It it really had everything to do with the atmosphere and being there.
0: Well, what's kind of cool, too, about some of those games when they're on the road the home team starts sort of rooting for the – I mean, not sort of. They they become fans for the no-hitter even yeah. if their team is going to lose, and that's pretty cool.
1: It is. For it that. is, and we've had that happen in Milwaukee. Uh, and, you know, if, if a guy loses a no-hitter uh, in the eighth inning at Miller Park against the Brewers, and it, it's happened before, you know, the crowd really does – Get into it, and then once that no hitter is lost, if if it doesn't get finished, it's uh, it's um, very well applauded and appreciated because of the effort and how rare it is.
0: Yeah, <laughs> the only no hitter I've seen in person, <laughs> I was seven years old at Comiskey Park. Like, and of course, I don't remember it other than I know I was there, and um, and I've gone back and looked at the box score a few times. But a guy named Bob Keegan. Through a no-hitter, I think against the Red Sox. And, you know, I do have memories of seeing those old flannel uniform guys. Saw Ted Williams play. He uh, must have been in that game if it, in fact, was against the Red Sox. I saw one game. I was pretty young, and it was a typical White Sox game. Joel Horland took the lead into the uh, bottom of the ninth against the then-Washington Senators. He had a – a strong no-hitter going with a one-to-nothing lead. And by the end of the 10 minutes into the ninth inning, he had lost. I think he may have had a perfect game, lost a perfect game, uh, gave up a hit, and then Jim King hit a home run into the right field bleachers to end the game. And even back then, a passionate young, probably 10- or 11-, 12-year-old fan, I think I might have hurled an ice cube in the direction of the TV, and luckily – I had a bad aim then, bad aim now. Must have missed the TV, but you know what a stupid thing for a young fan to do. But um, there's nothing like a nothing like a no hitter, nothing like a, a fun day at the ball game. And uh, luckily, um, one of the another good game I went to, and it, it's going to probably stand out in your mind. But it was a tie game. Cubs had come from behind, tied up the game. Bottom of the ninth. I might have been down by three because it was very dramatic. Very dramatic. And a young man who at late, later after that game, a few years later, played third base for your Milwaukee Brewers. But the, one, of the mo, one of until Miguel, uh, until Miggy hit that grand slam in the playoffs for the, uh, to beat the Dodgers, Haramis Ramirez just launched one over the left field fence to beat the Brewers in extra innings. That was pretty, pretty big time for Cup fans.
1: Boy, you're not kidding, man. It's uh, those are those are really special memories. They're they just are, and you know sometimes you know it's funny how we you know we we've done this podcast now for the last three weeks. It's it's pretty amazing how many memories you can build up if you're a baseball fan. You know, forever, a lifelonger because of how many games are played. You know, you play your 162 games a year there's some, there's some big special games in, in, in the middle, the beginning end, and then playoffs. And, and it's, it's amazing when you just start talking about sharing stories, how that triggers, you know, your memory to, you know, another era or, you know, when you were young or when you were old, um, whether you're a fan or not, it's, it's pretty cool stuff. I, I think that's the other thing that makes this game so doggone special.
0: Yeah, it, it does. Cause it, there are so many memories, and, and it's fun uh, digging them out during these podcasts. You're exactly right. And, um, you know, that's what kind of uh, makes this game different from football or basketball in my mind. Now, I'm sure there are some football fans that can remember when, you know, so Bart Starr hit Boyd Dollar in the end zone to win a game for uh, the Green Bay Packers or what have you. But baseball, you know, there's, there's so many different things that can happen and uh, i know i have a lot of memories i know you've got to have a gazillion memories and um I, do you keep uh do you keep your scorebooks historically or do you pitch them after the game
1: i used to keep them um but i ended up started p- pitching them uh, i don't know why to be honest with you um it just over time it just uh, turned out to be that way and um i don't know i Like that one with Verlander, I kept score and I thought one day I want to keep that and maybe I'll, uh, you know, maybe I'll find him or track him down and have him sign it one day. But I'm not, uh, I'm not a big collector of things. So I guess over time, uh, they just started disappearing here and there. So,
0: well, and before we take a break, my last story, and when we come back, let's talk a little either Hall of Fame or Negro League Hall of Fame since this 100 year anniversary of the Negro Leagues isn't getting much attention. Um, but, uh, way back, I don't know how many years, you'll remember when Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa were having their, you know, attack at the Roger Maris slash Babe Ruth records. And oh, yeah. So, in fact, the, uh, I think it might've been 61 or 62 that home run by Sosa was against the brewers at Wrigley. And so that weekend I got really, really good tickets and I brought my telephoto lens and for some blind luck, I I've tried to recreate my sports photography, but for some lucky break, I was uh, fortunate enough to, uh, keep score, and to take every swing that Sosa had. Uh, One game I was on the, you know, the first baseline, so I had a beautiful view of Sammy, and i would got 60, 61, and 62 with the ball hitting the bat, and they are great photographs. And, you know, before everybody thought about steroids and, you know, creatine and all the other stuff, this was a big moment for, for me. And, uh, I got these pictures developed 16 by 20 and still, you know, this was, I can't, yeah, you know, I've got it somewhere in my office. I may have taken it down due to Sammy's lack of uh credence now, but I took all these photographs and I, like I did with Yogi Berra, got the same result. I, I sent a picture, the yogi of yogi and said, Hey, we share the same birthday. Would you autograph it? God love yogi. I know he had plenty of stuff going on. Never got back. I did the same thing. I sent dear Mr. Sosa dear Chicago Cubs, blah, 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 blah. Here's a set for you. Here's a set for me. If you could maybe autograph one of these, send it back. And of course, you know, like with Albie Pearson, I got screwed on the, on the autograph front, but there's still great photographs. And that was a fun, fun memory, even if it may have been tainted a little bit. Well, you know, <clears throat> I will give you one thing. And I've,
1: I've heard a few of your stories, man, you're, you're, uh, you're diligent and persistent to try to get some things. And I, I did, uh, I did get a chuckle out of uh, last week, you were talking to Dwayne when you said when uh, the Indians had lost. Lost uh, that that last game of that uh, either World Series or yeah it was the World Dave, Series game seven and and Dave Winfield comes walking out and you you figured well this is an opportunity here I might as well ask him and you can always say no right to sign a ball That's oh
0: yeah you, you, you are know.
1: Jamie don't ever lose it
0: <laughs> I'll tell you what Winfield's no small guy either I mean, no. I mean he's six seven yeah I'm looking up. Hey Dave, I mean this was this was one of the games was just played over and over this week on MLB Network. Every time I turned on, Game Seven, Jose Mesa giving up the tie, and Charlie Nagy, poor guy pitching on fumes, gives up the the winning hit just over his outreach glove, and there I am waiting for Nelly, which I did a lot, and along comes Winfield. The rest is history. I, not sure I can find that ball, but now I've got, I'm have got. i on a mission. Let's take a go. break, give everybody a two-second rest, and when we come back, we'll finish it up with uh, whatever we want to talk about. Um, I've got a few guys in the Negro Leagues that made it into the Hall of Fame that I want to talk about with you, and then uh, then we'll wrap it up. But uh, this is Craig Deshawn, Jamie Retzke on the lighter side of baseball. We're having a good time, and I hope you guys are having a good time listening to it because it is a lot of fun. Let me make sure I can uh, get this uh, segue into our break, and we'll be back in just a minute. Hey, everybody. We are back on the lighter side of baseball with Craig Kashan This is Jamie Auretsky having another Sunday fun day with Craig. God, dog. I mean, uh, the memories just keep coming back, and and uh, this is the hundredth year anniversary of the – uh, founding of Negro League Baseball by Rube Foster, the gentleman who is uh, well-documented as having founded the Negro Leagues. And i talked to Craig you know, whenever I can because about that and about the Negro League Museum uh, because it's in mm-hmm. Kansas City down in the old Jazz District, 18th and Vine. And it's just a spectacular place to go. I think everybody that goes, uh, you know, when the major league teams come in, they go, everybody comes away with, uh, wow, that's a pretty cool place. I don't know if you've had had a chance to get there yet or not, Craig.
1: Yeah, you no, know, well, I did um, in the mid-2000s uh, when the – I think it was the first time the Brewers were in Kansas City for interleague play um, when the schedules started turning over. And, um, and we definitely paid a visit over there. I was fortunate enough to go over there with, uh, with Bill Hall, one of our players and Ricky Weeks. And, um, we actually took the tour together and I had, uh, I had a camera, uh, with us and put a really nice story together, uh, for one of our shows in Kansas city that for that series. And that was my first experience there. And it's been the only time I've had a chance to go there. And, um, I, I just could not have been more thrilled, uh, delighted, um, entertained, schooled, educated. It was, uh, it was just a a really great experience. And I would highly, 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 highly encourage anyone who hasn't had a chance to, to see that yet to go out of their way to do it. Don't, don't just do it because you're in Kansas city, go to Kansas city, and make that a destination in my opinion. Because it, uh, it is one of the neatest things ever. I agree.
0: It's really cool. In fact, they used to have, and I think they still do, but, um, you know, it's increasingly become a big fundraiser in Kansas City, and especially after Buck O'Neill and was so involved in Ken Burns' uh, baseball uh, documentaries that, that propelled Buck to, to uh, become a household name amongst people that were baseball historians but I don't know. This was probably 15 years ago, maybe every January they had their anniversary celebration and, uh, I got a table and, uh, Nellie was in town. So, so Nellie accompanied my family and friends to this. And Mudcat Grant was the, uh, was one of the, um, honorees and Tony La was an honoree and what they would have like, uh, you know, like a lot of places do, they'd have the manager of the year, the MVP, the da da da, and they would get a pretty good turnout. Mudcat came back, and what a blast to, to listen to him and Nelly talk! Oh my gosh, hell, yeah, bet that was that was fun. And then of course, Mudcat was more interested in his singing group, Mudcat and the Kittens, and uh, you know, handing out CDs and and uh, trying to get interest in in his his vocal group, but. But, man, I, well, he was a he was a great pitcher back when I remember him being with the twins. But um, one of my ideas, and I have never really sat down with Bob Kendrick, the, the president of a uh, Negro League museum, but I've met him a couple times back uh, with Dave. And I, it, seemed, it would, to me, be interesting in having an exhibit or some permanent statues of – The guys that came up that didn't play in the Negro Leagues but certainly were the first generation of beneficiaries to the Jackie Robinson, Larry Doby, Monty Irvin, Don Newcomb guys, the guys like Billy Williams, like Dave Nelson, like Willie Mays. And to me, you could expand the Hall of Fame. Now, you know, I'm not not contributing to it, so I'm not anything but – free advice, but it seems to me that, that those guys, um, weren't, weren't probably subjected to a hundred percent of what Robinson and Dobie and those guys were, but they, they had their share of, I want to quit. And their mother said, Jackie didn't do what he did for you to quit. And, you know, I'd like to find out some of those guys and have, uh, have some statues there. I think that'd be cool.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a neat idea. And, and I think with anything, you know, significant like that too, it takes, it takes money obviously to get that, that done and then, you know, get yourself in a position and it just kind of jogged my, my thought process here of, you know, these, some of these frontline players that are playing the game today, like, you know, like Christian Yelich um, and, and, you know, I'm just going, you know, on the Brewers and, you know, Mike Trout, um, you know, guys that are the real significant frontline guys right now. And it would be interesting to see, you know, if they could be approached, persuaded, um, and would take interest in, you know, the history of of the game to the Negro Leagues and see what they could do, you know, financially to, to get something like that going. And it would be nice to see, you know, at all ballparks, not have it be something of a of a traveling show so much as here's a here's a permanent fixture in our game and then and then that you know for the new generation of baseball fans it it kind of you know encompasses the true meaning of of in history of where this game began is one of the, I mean it's the one of the oldest if not the oldest professional sport that we have in America um the only one i can think of that's older than Baseball, if even it is, is is NCAA football, college football.
0: Yeah, it's that's those true.
1: two sports. So I mean, anyway, it was. Uh, that's just again, it's just a, a thought there. But um, I you know I like your idea. That's for sure, and, and certainly it's well deserved.
0: Well, and and you know I I like to talk about the the Negro leagues because it's just an interesting, not just the baseball, but it's interesting the socioeconomic impact. Uh, how popular uh, the game was in the, although segregated, where uh, I know the Kansas City Monarchs, everybody in in town that um, followed the Monarchs would go to church, and then after church they'd walk over to to uh, the ballpark, and I mean they had huge crowds, uh, at least. Again, I wasn't there, but but I you know seen. Seen photographs, and it's just a great era. And um, and not only does it make a socio-economic political statement on where we were and where we've come from, but uh, uh, these guys could could play in uh, in this hall of uh, the uh, MLB Hall of Fame. Sends me a not that I'm in the Hall of Fame. Uh, sends me a magazine every month, and and I was reading this. The, the one of the, the headline the the cover has is, is got Josh Gibson, Rube Foster, uh, Cool Papa Bell, Satchel Paige on the cover and in, in their Negro League uniforms, which is cool. And in part of that article, I thought one of the funniest things was, uh, Ken Burns, one of the questions that I asked Buck O'Neill was, and this is a very, I think this is asked of all these guys at some point or another. Did you ever feel a sense of bitterness because of this arbitrary exclusion from the major leagues? And Buck O'Neill goes, Well, no. How do you know that our league uh, wasn't better than their league? <laughs> and yeah, it's, that's it's beautiful, isn't it? That's so true. Yeah. Uh, man, oh, man. Because, you know, you read stuff, and I, I try to. There's, there, I've mentioned this book before, uh, a great – one of the first books I read on the, on, on the uh, segregated status of baseball, but the title of the book is Only the Ball Was White, and uh, it's a great expose on the Negro Leagues. There's plenty of good books out there, but, um, man, oh, man, I started looking at uh, – I think I, I was mentioning when we were on a break, there are 35 members of the Hall of Fame that were in the Negro Leagues. And, you know, Cool Papa Bell, Satchel, all these guys um, uh, with the the great names, but also uh, the fame. Josh Gibson, supposedly the greatest home run hitter ever. In the barnstorming days, the Major League guys would get off, go play for some money, and uh, they'd come back thinking how spectacular the opposition was or the guys that were on their team that were uh, in the Negro League. So it's – It's unbelievable, but even somebody who I love, I I could go to the hall of fame. I haven't been there enough, but, um, I'm looking through the book and, and I, of these 35 guys, I bet I know the, the famous six and don't know the, uh, whatever the math would come to on the rest of them.
1: Yeah. Isn't that, isn't that something though? I mean, that, that went on for such a long time. Um, you know, the separation of the two and it took a long time to, you know, get it integrated. Um, but I, I think, you know, the, the one, one of the things that I was probably most amazed when I went through the, the Negro league museum and, and just some of the research that I've done and, and, um, is, is the fact that I'll go back to the the crowds, um, and, you know, how, how this affected so many communities in a positive way. And it was a pretty cool thing. And it's, uh, I don't know. I, I just think it's one of these stories that, um, you know, might be one of the greatest stories in sports, to be honest with you. And it's, it's one of those things too, if you could go back in time, you know, and be a time traveler, I think that would be uh really something to, to witness, you know, I totally. Agree. Uh, you know, so, so that, that's the thing, you know, and it was, it was much needed. Um, and, and it's, it's great that, uh, you know, they had the success that they had and, and it's just too bad. That, um, the whole integration process couldn't have happened at a, at a sooner time, but you know, I, I wish more people would know like you and I, you know, it was so long ago, some of the names that, that are on that hall, uh, hall of fame and Cooperstown list that you're looking at, um, you know, a lot of time has passed, and that's the unfortunate part of trying to to recognize people that, you know, we're we're not used to, you know, seeing playing or don't have a part of history on the major league side.
0: Well, and here's a perfect example of just that exact thing and how lacking uh, some of the substantiation, box scores, literature, how hard do you have to go back to uh, kind of try to find out, why they're so great and how they end up in the hall of fame. But here's a guy I'd never heard of until this morning. And uh, his name is Leon Day. And I, you know, you start, lo- you start looking into Leon Day. And the first thing that comes up is there is a national Leon Day. And so you're going to oh, Leon Day, what's that? Well, and he pops up on national Leon Day. It's June 25th every year. Six months before Christmas, in Leon, is backwards. It spells Noël. <laughs> <so>, no kidding. <laughs> how about that for some useless trivia?
1: There you well, go. Well, hey, it's part of it now. Here we go.
0: But back to my point. This guy's record, Leon Day. One of the, the he was a great pitcher. When he wasn't pitching, he played every other position you could think of. He's in the Hall of Fame. His official record as a pitcher. Catch this. How many guys, either if if this were the criteria, would get into the Hall of Fame? His record that they have in existence or documented 13 win, 33 wins, sixteen losses. Hall of Fame. Interesting. You probably had more wins pitching in Little League than that. Probably, but no, that's that's interesting. But so, so now you start what digging for that. Well. I think one of the reasons was it just wasn't documented. He wasn't playing for the Monarchs. He wasn't playing. He was playing for Baltimore, uh, and then Newark for most of his time, and then he'd play in in the uh, winter baseball in Latin America, in Puerto Rico or in uh, the Dominican. He'd play in the Mexican League, and uh, he just played all over. Now I don't know if he played under an assumed name sometimes, but. You know, every time you look, you see a different you, – you Google his name and it says he was 39 and 13 here. he was, It's just like I'm, I'm curious how this guy um, – they said he was better than Satchel. Um, I think it was Monty Irvin said he'd seen them both pitch, and this guy was better than Satchel Page. And so it's like the guy had a bad public publicist. Here's Leon Day. <laughs> I'd never heard of him. And from uh, no, no
1: publish, no publishes, yeah, no, and no stats.
0: <laughs> uh, here's another guy. This will be the last guy. I obviously, uh, I'm, I'm getting more and more interested in this. This guy was six foot four, weighed 240, big for back in the uh, 1900s. He was a catcher named Louis Santop, S A N T O P, Hall of Famer. Great catcher, never heard of him. You know, and that's uh, that's on me, I guess. But, and and if you sat down, if you had the opportunity to sit down, if we were time travelers, and you could sit down with a Buck O'Neill, if you could sit down with those guys, there'd be so many names that we wouldn't have heard of.
1: Oh, exactly, exactly. And it's, that's kind of the thing about, course, I'll be honest with you. I mean, even going to Cooperstown, when you go back and and just look at the history of, you know, Major League Baseball, um, it, it's kind of we're talking almost the same thing um, to a certain extent. Because as much as you appreciate some of the names that we all grew up with and some of the names that, you know, were big before, you know, before our day and stuff. Uh, I mean, we all knew what Babe Ruth did, but we never saw him play. Right. There's only so much. Uh, film footage of of him, but they kept the numbers and I think that's that's the thing you know like for us with uh you go back to guys you know from the nineteen hundreds or nineteen tens nineteen teens, and we don't know the names of any of some of these guys that are that are in the hall of fame, but their numbers speak for themselves um depend, depending upon and I think that's the one thing that we're we're seeing with the with the Negro league. Uh, guys that are in uh, Cooperstown now is they couldn't keep track of the numbers back then, and and the number of games that were played weren't couldn't match how many they were playing on the major league baseball side either.
0: No, I mean here, okay, I mean this is great. And again, I'm cheating. I've got now I'm looking at the National Baseball Hall of Fame 2016 yearbook, and I just flipped to a guy named Ned Hanlon. He's a he's a manager in the Hall of Fame. He was born in in uh, Monville, Connecticut in 1857 and died in 1937. This guy was a manager. I've never heard of him. He ain't no Connie Mack. No. He, the guy won all these – I mean, it's phenoc- – it, it, you're absolutely right. It's a game where if you're a history nut um, or, you know, if you've got a few months to, uh, to kill and you can get into the Cooperstown Library, man, what fun would that be to just – go through all that. Oh my God, we could go on for hours, but we have to well, save, I, I save I some take of this for next week.
1: Well, for sure. And, and I've got a good story about, cause I was in the library at Cooperstown on my visit. Uh, it was a, it was a special insider, um, not open to the public, uh, tour and, and I'll be anxious. And, uh, to share that story, you know, when we talk next week about let's, that, I totally up for
0: that. Let's do some hall of fame, uh, Hall of Fame talking I've got next uh, next week or uh, soon thereafter um, just for the listeners to look forward to not only Craig and me but um, a, a guy that played for the 1984 uh, I guess sort of the pennant winning Cubs they won their they won their division and, and won the first two games of then the five game NLCS and you played the last three games at the home park of the team with the worst record, Bobby Dernier. I don't know if you remember Bobby Dernier, but he was the uh, center fielder for the Cubs and the Phillies back in the eighties. Okay. I, I think Bobby's uh, going to be on one of our podcasts. So I'm looking forward to that, but I want to talk more about the hall of fame next week. Cause I, it's just fun. Both the real hall of fame. I shouldn't say the real, the, the national hall of fame in Cooperstown and then the, uh, the one here in Kansas City, man. This has been fun, as always. A blast. Have a healthy week. Um, Hopefully by next week, maybe you'll have some inside information on uh, what MLB's thinking in terms of uh, uh, starting up. Maybe we'll turn the corner nationally on this COVID-19. And, uh, you know, you can only be hopeful, upbeat, and uh, optimistic for for, uh, good health, and uh you know a safe place out in uh in the US for sports to get going and you to get back to work.
1: Yep, you got that right. We're all we're all pulling for it and um, and until we do, we'll just keep talking uh baseball here and 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 enjoy our good stories and and hopefully uh we've got a lot of people doing
0: the same. Well, I appreciate it. And uh, on the lighter side of baseball, for the voice of the, not only the Milwaukee Bucks, but the Milwaukee Brewers pregame, postgame, and uh, play-by-play from time to time, a good friend of mine, good friend of Nellie's, uh, Craig Kishan and Jamie Reski signing off until next Sunday on the lighter side of baseball. Everybody have a great week, and we will talk to you later.